thrilled listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking with Sheila Ray Gregoire about creating healthy sexual intimacy together. Sheila writes one of the largest marriage blogs in all of North America, and it's a really fun blog with tons of information about sex from a Christian perspective, but so frank, so ready to delve into the biggest topics without an unhealthy dose of shame, but just with love, with care, with fun, with humor, and really with the ultimate goal of giving you guys the best sex life ever. So to do a whole lot more than love, honor, and vacuum, her name is so cute, and I just love that she's sharing her beautiful gift in the world. So you're going to get such a treat with hearing from her today. We've talked about intimacy before on this podcast, but I can't tell you how different this episode is going to feel and what a difference it could make in your relationship to hear it. So I really hope you will listen to this episode in full because Sheila has so many gifts to give you. So if you are struggling at all in your intimate life or you know somebody who is, this is going to bless you guys. So you might even be like, I'm running to get the book before I even listen to this podcast. I don't care if you do that, but I do think the podcast is going to give you some great stories and some some ways that you can be practical. And just to hear from the author's heart is a gift. So I'm super happy that we get this awesome gift of time with Sheila. I know she's so busy on her book tour. It's making huge waves in the Christian and entire world community. So I welcome her so much with you all. As for the Enneagram and marriage community at large, make sure that if you are struggling in your marriage, that you guys get connected with a local therapist or seek coaching, seek great teachings from your, your local church or your mentors in your world. Don't forget to not just go at it all alone, but to seek out healthy and helpful resources. One I have here is the Enneagram Glow Guides that I co-created with Elena Pampa. We really put a lot of time. She put a lot of detail as an artist and I put a lot of detail as the scholar behind the, the guides. And what they are is they help you guys to come up with the best ways and angles that you might be missing right now in your relationship, whether you're a 1-5 pairing or a 2-6. We have them all for you and we've put my almost two decades of research into them with couples at large and in general, like our episode today with Sheila. These books have all marriage help. And then we also have that very specific fine-tuned help just for you guys. So I'm excited for you on your journey. And one of the reasons I share that is because we have a full plate here at Enneagram and Marriage. And so I don't have room for any more clients right now. And I do hear from people often in my DMs who are just friendly and saying hello, but sometimes they're saying, I need some help for my pairing. So I love to share about this. That is legitimately why I made these glow guides. And now I'm even adding on an Enneagram and Marriage course because I want to teach those who want to teach Enneagram and Marriage principles to their clients. I want to spend some time teaching you over the summer. This is when I take my teaching break and I'm dedicating my Thursday mornings to recorded Zoom for this very purpose because I realize that a lot of people have Enneagram coaching going on, but not that many are doing Enneagram and marriage coaching teaching. So I want to teach you and certify you in Enneagram and marriage work. I do want to let you know as a listener, you can get a 10% discount by using the code HELPER. 
And that way I know that you are a helper in this field and it could be that you're a lay helper. It could be that you are a traditional helper and as an actual counselor or a pastor or a coach, but I want to help you guys to understand how to help others with their Enneagram and marriage needs. And, and I've priced it reasonably, but at a rate that I think is also going to help you to do your homework because I want only those who are taking the training seriously to be part of it. And I'm putting in a lot of time and you are going to be too if you take this summer course with me that goes from May to August. And you can do it on your own time or you can do it right with me live. I'm training some of my staff as well, so I'm excited to train them. But if anyone else wants to join us too, I would be so grateful because there's such a big need and I can't meet that need without the other helpers out there doing it. So if you're like, oh, I love Enneagram work, but I don't know where to get started. And I really want to dedicate some time and study to it. This course is for you because I'll be doing Q&A at the end and talking through it with you. And I have really enjoyed my work with couples over the past couple decades. So that's something to keep in mind. So go visit me at enneagramandmarriage.com. Use the code helper if you also want to help. And if you're somebody who's like, I just want to know more about Enneagram and marriage and I'm a couple, this is, it's fine if you took the course for that reason but it is geared toward helpers and we have a special trauma course and I'm teaching my marriage R&R workbooks in the course so we have a lot going on mainly for relationship helpers or if you want to get started in that and this is going to be your first place you visit the Enneagram and marriage certification might be a great place for you but but keep it in mind that we're going to be focusing on helping others so anyway now we're all going to get help for ourselves as we listen up to Sheila Gregoire as she talks about how we can really grow in our marriages with intimacy and really sexual intimacy being our topic today. So make sure you put this one on your earbuds or otherwise move out of the way with littles, elementary or middle school kids who aren't ready for this topic or even high school kids who aren't ready for the topic because we are going to be talking a little bit more extensively about sex. And this is a great talk, but it isn't a replacement for your first talk with your kids about sex by any means. So go ahead and scoot to your own private listening area. And I think you're going to be so blessed and I can't wait to hear just how blessed you are. So make sure you let me know if this talk helps you in some way. I'm so glad to have you today, Sheila. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to join you too. Well, what was extra wonderful about today is that I was doing my Lenten devotional through Biola University with my daughter and it was such a good devotional talking about the woman who was stoned and condemned. And then all of a sudden your book was recommended in the midst of that devotional. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Oh, wow. (laughs) I was just like, oh, this is one of my favorite stories about women and it's perfect for today. And all of a sudden they said, gosh, Sheila is doing such a tremendous job of helping both men and women to not cast stones at women in this culture. So I just want to say thank you. Your book is just everywhere. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't even know that. So that's so encouraging. (laughs) Yes. It's so well-crafted and it's just, and so are these devotionals for the Lenten devotionals. If people don't know about them at Biola university, wow, they've been just phenomenal. They have beautiful music and they have beautiful art and beautiful, obviously books recommended as they share scriptures for each day. So yay. I'm so glad you are just spreading your wings all over the place. (laughs) 
So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Sheila Gregoire and I, I've been blogging almost every day at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum for some mm-hmm. insane amount of time now. I think it's like 13 years or something wow. crazy. Wow. I know. And I started out mostly in that mommy blog sphere, you know, talking marriage mm-hmm. and housework and kids and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more I started talking about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I kind of... <laughs> Christian sex lady, which is not really a career that anyone sets out for. Um, but yes, <laughs> but here I am, and I, I've written a bunch of books on sex, and, and we just finished this huge research project, which is part of our new book, The Great Sex Rescue, which I'm really excited to be talking about. Oh my gosh, me too. And I was laughing as I was reading your book because I have two daughters also, and I was like, oh my gosh, like how funny that these ladies are like, how did we end up becoming complete sex experts? <laughs> like this is yeah, <laughs> and weird. Um, but yes, and I'm so glad for our Enneagram audience, we always like to start off too before we dig in with a little bit about your Enneagram type. So it sounds like you do know your type and maybe your hubby's type too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I'm a pure eight. I, what I've been told is I don't even have any wings. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know a lot about Enneagram, but my, but my daughter, Rebecca is always laughing. Like, no, you're just straight eight. She's a nine wing eight. So we're sort of, we're, we're similar in a way and she comes off Mm -hmm. as an eight, but she's actually not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whereas, Whereas I'm just pure eight. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I do like, feel like I super trust a nine wing eight for knowing this. I have a nine wing eight daughter and they're incredibly insightful. And I love also that she knows, although she's not an eight and that, you know, this, she, she puts those big, strong traits out too. And she just loves you so much. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then my other daughter, I don't know what Katie is, but yeah, she's very different than, than us. She's not the campaigner, like the, <laughs> the, the trailblazer. Katie is, is, it has her own YouTube channel. So we're, we're just an interesting oh. family because Rebecca and I are so campaigners and then, uh, and then Katie's more like just a peaceful, not a homebody, but just, mm. uh, she just really loves people. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh. I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to tear everything down. So I don't know. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. How different and fun to have all these different personalities. I love that. And I love that you and Rebecca got to partner on this book together and your hubby, mm-hmm. as we probably won't talk about him that much, but I do want to hear, cause it sounded like he was a five, six or a one on the Enneagram. And you, did you have a sense for which one? They say he's a five wing six. And when I read it all, that sounds quite, that sounds like it, it sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that does help me to know. And all of us listening to know how you got to those energetic depths. When I have an eight and a five couple, I think of that big, beautiful energy of the eight. And I think of the five pulling them into the depths to, to make sure that they're grounded all the time in their self-care and in their research. And so I'm mm-hmm. sure it's been a beautiful journey together. How long have you been married? Uh, 29 years now. So long time. Yeah. I mean, you would say it's been, it's been beautiful. I know that we do have a lot of clashes because I'm always running ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's, and he's Mm -hmm. like, okay, hold on before you do something, just hold on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's think this through. And I'm like, you don't really support me. So (laughs) so it's good. You know, it's, it's all things we need to understand about each other. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow like when I think of the visual Alina created for the eight, five pairing, it was water-based and, and, uh, sea life. And I think of almost you as the fin on the top of the sea, and him mm-hmm. trying to like, give you some bearing, like, hold on, I'm going to be the eyes and ears of this mission. 
Yes. I think that's very true. But you know, honestly, like you're saying, of course there's a high and a low. And one of the funniest things happened yesterday, I was doing a session with somebody and she was like, what is the bad name you have for the pairings? Cause they have these beautiful names. <laughs> like I did not make <laughs> bad names. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm glad that you're like, Hey, let's be real. It's always, it's always good, but it's always a challenge. So, so, but yes, let's talk a little bit about marriage and intimacy, because you are such a bold eight championing this big topic for us. So can you tell us a little bit about your research on all of this? So what we did last year was we were noticing that no matter how much good content we put out in the world, (laughs) people Mm -hmm. still kept having some of the same issues. Hmm. And we were thinking that maybe what's going on is there's something faulty in our foundation. Like there's something that's holding all of us back. And so we did the largest survey that's ever been done of Christian women, um, 20,000 women surveyed, predominantly Christian, not all, um, but predominantly Christian. And we looked at their marital and sexual satisfaction. And Mm -hmm. then we looked at what evangelical beliefs about sex they had internalized. And we were trying to see if there were certain beliefs that were correlated with just bad sex you know, Mm -hmm. no pleasure, sexual pain or bad marriages. And, you know, we found that a lot of the ways that the evangelical church talks about sex can actually lead to really negative outcomes. And so our goal is just Mm -hmm. to change that, to change how we talk about stuff. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a beautiful goal. Thank you so much. I mean, it's just incredible. And honestly, with your research, I was shocked when I went through the books that you were sharing because we didn't know what was happening at the foundational level. But now we do, thanks to you and your daughter, because all these books that obviously meant well have been sharing things that just didn't point us in a healthy direction. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And I want to kind of mention a few too, but I would love to hear from you first on that. Yeah. So what we found was that there were certain key beliefs that just really were harmful. And then we looked at the 10 best-selling Christian marriage books and six iconic Christian sex books. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to see, do these books actually share these teachings? And we found that a lot of them did and in very big ways. In fact, it was probably these books that largely perpetuated a lot of these beliefs. Um, For instance, one of the most harmful ones is the belief that all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle. Mm -hmm. And when women believe that, they're far less likely to trust their husbands. They're far less likely to get aroused during sex or to orgasm. They're far less likely um, just to have good marital satisfaction. They're more likely to have sexual pain. It's just Mm -hmm. a terrible thing. And the interesting thing is that that belief affects them, even if they never believe it themselves, even if they're only taught it. Wow. And it affects them even if they're only taught it in high school. So you got to picture a lot of these girls are sitting in youth group hearing about how they're stumbling blocks for boys and how all guys are going to look at them and how you got to watch how you dress and how guys can't control themselves. And then maybe six years later, they meet the guy they're going to marry and they can't trust him, even though he's a good guy, because before they even met him, they were told all these really terrible things about men. Mm -hmm. And men were told the same things about themselves. 
Yeah. And, and that's a whole other topic. We deal with this a little bit in the great sex rescue. We're going to deal with it more in a book for men coming up. Mm -hmm. But what I think has happened is that guys have been told that feeling sexually attracted towards someone is the same thing as lusting. Mm -hmm. And so guys think they're sinning all day long when they're not. (sighs) And so there's a whole heap of shame that's been put on men that never should have been there. Hmm. Oh my goodness. That is so well said. And also so grievous. What kind of harm do you think it's done? You said one thing is you feel that women who have started in marriage have this erroneous belief that their husbands won't be able to control themselves at all. But I noticed in your research, there was just a lot more that's come from this. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me because I'm not the numbers person. Joanna was, (laughs) she's really smart. And so she was, she's our epidemiologist and statistician. And the book is filled. Like if you're a numbers person, you will love the great sex rescue because there's so many charts and graphs and pie charts and it's all just really pretty. (laughs) It's all fun. And we show you all these things, but yeah, like that, that belief just hurts, um, everything. Like it just, mm-hmm. nothing goes well. And mm-hmm. that's not the only one. Like the idea that you have to have sex to keep your husband from watching porn. Mm-hmm. That one's a really toxic one too. And yet that's taught in so many of our books. Mm-hmm. Like yes. Every Man's Battle, which that series sold 4 million copies. It literally calls women the methadone for their husband's sex addiction. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Like that's it's so dehumanizing. Sick. And, and in that book, it never once says that sex can be pleasurable for women too. It just says that men have this great need for sex and his eyes are easier to control if he gets sexual release. So do the right thing and get him release. Right. That's how it talks about sex in marriage. Mm, That is so sad. And it was really sad because that book and about five or six of the others that you mentioned, in addition to the Christian sex therapy books, just have some, I'm going to say it as archaic language, because I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't mean to maybe leave (laughs) this out. I hope they didn't. I really don't want to judge them any more than I want to judge the woman being stoned, but I just don't want that book out anymore. Is that kind of how you're feeling? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and I think like, uh, take the act of marriage, for instance, because mm-hmm. you know what, that was one of the iconic sex books that we looked at. It was highly mm-hmm. problematic, but it was the big book that was read. If you were married between 1976 and 1995, chances are you were given the act of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, that was the it. sex book in those days. I certainly was given it. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> um, I so have most it. Yep. pastors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most pastors who are pastoring today, if they're generation X, they read the act of marriage. And to be fair, when that book was written in 1976, it was a huge improvement over what was already out. Mm -hmm. A big thing that that book did was talk about how women can feel pleasure too. So that's great. Mm -hmm. But the problem is there was all this other stuff in there that's really harmful. Mm. And so even though it was an improvement and I know Tim LaHaye was trying to do something good by writing it, um, that book actually did hurt a lot of people. I certainly was one of them. Um, mm. And I talk about my experience with that book in, in the great sex rescue as well. Um, mm. But it made me a nervous wreck for my wedding night. But it also I, I had been really looking forward to sex. Like I did not grow up in the purity culture. The purity culture was after I got married. I had a really mm. healthy view of sex. Mm. I really loved my fiance. Like we were in a good place. I was really looking forward to sex. And then when I read the act of marriage, it was like my body physically changed. 
And I oh, started wow. getting angry and I clenched up because what it was telling me was that I didn't have a right to say no anymore. And mm-hmm. so what was going through my head was nobody has the right to touch me unless I want them to. And I wanted my husband, like my fiance to, it wasn't that I didn't want him to. It was just this idea that I was no longer allowed to say no. Then all of a sudden sex became a threat when it never had been before. Mm. Yeah. And this heaviness came on it. Exactly. And, And when we tell women that they can't say no, then now they can't say yes either. Because if you can't truly say no, it's impossible to say yes. And that's why I love working with couples on marriage issues and and self-care to make sure people are replenishing themselves and feeling good about themselves. But also that, you know, you're not going to want to have sex with somebody who's not treating you with dignity and with love and consideration. And these books haven't taught us that they've taught us. If you don't give this to your man, he's a ticking time bomb. However, he's treating you. That doesn't really matter as much. Exactly. And it's, it's just really tragic. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, that was this idea that a wife is obligated to give her husband sex. If she doesn't, he's going to have an affair or he's going to watch porn or he's going to lust or God's going to be mad at you. I mean, that kind of, that kind of an idea is throughout our evangelical bestsellers. And um, what we found really sad is that that belief is highly correlated with an increase in sexual pain. And what many people may not realize is that conservative Christians have twice the rate of sexual pain as the general population. Mm, That is so sad. And that probably does, like you said, happen when we read books that tell us he's not really into you and you're just kind of staving off the storm and it just doesn't make you feel special and sacred. And I noticed you said vaginismus, dyspnea, these things are not talked about. The women's issues from so many things are not talked about in most of these books either. No, they're really not. I mean, how many of us know what erectile dysfunction is? You know, we all pretty much know that, right? (laughs) Sadly, my kids from commercials. (laughs) Yeah, you watch any game show, it's it's on there. And yet of people in their 20s and 30s and even their 40s, vaginismus or primary sexual pain is more common. Mm. And yet very few of us even, there's a word for that or that that exists. Mm -hmm. Thank you for educating us. That's so helpful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and like, I think the number was 22% of women have experienced vaginismus or primary sexual pain. And what that means is that the muscles of the vaginal wall contract, you're not causing it. You're not doing it deliberately, but they get so tight that penetration is either really painful or it's impossible. Mm. And mm-hmm. so like, that's a fifth of women, more than a fifth of Christian women yet we don't talk about it. We don't even know what it is. And we tell women you're obligated to have sex or he won't feel loved. And the only reason that you can use for not having sex is prayer and fasting by mutual consent, um, which is a misuse of of 1 Corinthians 7. But, mm-hmm. but we tell women that. And then the very women who are more likely to experience pain are also more likely to push their way through because they feel like they have to. And that makes everything worse. Mm, exactly. And now they're in pain and they're resentful and sometimes physically bruised. And it's just such a recipe for not intimacy, but disaster. And it does leave husbands bewildered and, and frustrated as well. And this is not talked about enough. I am just so 
thankful that you're sharing it. I'm sure even some of our listeners are saying, oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. Yeah. And we just wanted to, we want to get back to sex the way that the Bible talks about it. You know, like it's supposed Mm. to be something which is really intimate. Like we laugh. Okay. We laugh about Genesis four verse one, you know, where it says Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore him a son. And, and we think it's hilarious that God used the word no there. Like Adam Mm. knew his wife because Mm. it sounds like God's embarrassed of using the real word. But the Hebrew word there is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, oh God. And I think what God's telling us is that sex is supposed to be deeply intimate. It's supposed to be this longing to be connected, this really personal longing. And that means that sex she matters. Like you both have to matter. It's not just about one person. Mm. But you know, and so there's one part of it. And then we get that feeling as well in first Corinthians seven, um, which is so misused, but the whole point of that passage is that everything is mutual. Mm. Everything that he has, she has too. sex is supposed to be mutual and intimate. And we know from song of songs, it's supposed to be pleasurable. Mm. And yet too often in our marriage books, sex is simply described as a man's need that a woman has to fulfill. Mm. And that's just a tragedy. I mean, love and respect says, you know, a husband needs physical release just as you need emotional release. Mm. I don't even know what emotional release is supposed to be. That's a very strange thing to say, but, you know, but it it describes sex as simply a husband's physical release. That's all sex is. Mm. And what a shallow, terrible view of it. Right. And I, that book never connected with me personally. And so it didn't become part of my, my repertoire, but now as you flesh out for me, why I didn't connect with active marriage in this book, I think it's just, sometimes we don't know what to do because we see the Christian books and we're like, well, that doesn't fit. This isn't me. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Some of us are doing that, but then what do we do? So it's so helpful for me to hear you say, gosh, let's go back to what Jesus says. Let's go back to what (laughs) we see biblically as no, and as knowing, and as song of songs. I mean, this is actually the beautiful, intimate, passionate life that I, when I see frustrated couples, so many husbands are like, I want, I mean, I haven't yet heard a husband to say, I want sex to be just about me. It's, I don't know where this belief is, this is coming from, because that's not what I'm hearing men want. And yet this is what we've been taught. I know, like, and, and, you know, we did all kinds of focus groups after our survey. So we surveyed 20,000 women and then we did all kinds of focus groups and over and over again, the women told us that this idea of obligation, sex or duty, sex did not come from their husbands. Mm. It came from the books and the conferences they went to and everything. And then once they talked to their husbands about it, their husbands were horrified (laughs) that the wives believed this and said, I never want you to do anything you don't want to do. Like, Even if we're in the middle of something and you want to stop, tell me and we'll stop. And once the women had the freedom to stop, Mm -hmm. it was like they found their libido again. And so many women said, that's when I was finally able to reach orgasm. When I realized I didn't have to do this, that I was doing it because I chose to. 
Oh, what a great story of hope for everybody listening to think about this differently and to talk this out with your spouses to say, like, I know we've gotten off on this footing and it isn't comfortable for me, but here's what I would love. I would love to feel sexually aroused with you. And can we go back to square one? And in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of Sheila's tips, but I'm just so thankful for you pointing this out. I also love the story in your book about the elderly gentleman. I had this lovely commenter who used to comment on my blog for years, like almost every day. He would just say encouraging things, telling young people just to stick with marriage and to love your spouse and remember the marriage is beautiful. And he would just say lovely things about how, you know, they couldn't always have sex anymore because of health concerns, but they would lie naked in bed and pray together every night. And he was just so sweet. And then all of a sudden he stopped commenting. And, uh, and a couple of months later, I heard from his wife to tell me that he had passed away, but that he really appreciated the blog. And like, that was just such a beautiful picture. And that should be the picture that we think of when we think of sex and love in Christian resources. You know, just that idea of, of being naked and being intimate in whatever way you can, <laughs> but appreciate and cherishing your spouse, um, no matter what stage of life and phase of life you're in. And yet so often what we hear about is duty and obligation and entitlement, and it gets very ugly. Yeah, you're reminding me of that scripture going way back to the garden, to the marriage ideal of, they were naked and unashamed. And so that's beautiful that they were able to just say like, I love you and we can be whole together and we can be intimate together and passionate, whether it leads to sex or not, we're knowing each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the promise. That's what I think we should have. And so what I'm hoping in our, in our book, the great sex rescue is that we can call people back to just better discernment. And cause frankly, we've done a really bad job in the evangelical church of talking about this. You know, we had purity culture for so many years, which heaped a lot of shame. But even aside from purity culture, we've talked about sex so much as something that men need and women don't, um, and something which is so male focused. And it was never supposed to be that. It was supposed to be something which is intimate where both people matter. Um, and women have basically been erased in a lot of our books, like, like uh, love and respect. Again, it says, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. And it, mm. it, it never, ever once talks about how sex can be pleasurable for women. It just talks about how men need physical release. In fact, he says one of the benefits of sex is that it doesn't take very long, which is kind of a funny thing to say if you're expecting sex to feel good for women. But uh... right, right. And there are times when I've heard a uh, wonderful anatomy of marriage was just on and they were sharing, you know, on their podcast about yes, sometimes relaxation sex and, and it's for different moments and purposes and morning sex and, and the different times and experiences. But, but many times women are pleasured. And as you and I both know from our DMS, many and maybe personal experiences, many times women are even the ones who want sex more. So it's just so sad that Mm -hmm. it's not being seen. Yeah. And that's another thing that's totally missing from the conversation is the fact that in, we found in 20% of marriages, she's the one with the higher sex drive. And in roughly, I think it's like 23% of marriages, their sex drive is, is roughly equal. So it's only in about like, I think it was 58% of marriages that he has the higher sex drive. Mm -hmm. And yet we talk about it as if that's the way it always is that he will want sex and she won't. Mm. And think about how many women that leaves out in the cold 
you know, mm. thinking, what, is there something wrong with me? Oh, yes. Cause he doesn't want me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and, and we don't leave room for the fact that there's just natural variations in people's libidos. It isn't a male, female thing, no. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. we talk about everything so much as a male, female thing. And that's just not the way it is. <laughs> no, um, it's so seasonal and it's through illnesses and babies and nursing and it's through birth control pills and testosterone. It's like, the, the millions of different factors that play in mm-hmm. to reduce it so globally to just this black and white, he's going to want sex is really setting everybody up for failure. Exactly. Oh, and can you tell us a little bit about how pornography too can just, I think that's misunderstood sometimes as being something that can bring intimacy and closeness, and it usually doesn't have that effect. So I was wondering if you had research about that, or if any of the women talked about that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest issues in marriages Mm -hmm. today. And the thing that we need to understand is that porn is not about sex. Mm -hmm. We think it is. We think that pornography is just, you know, um, the porn user is using porn to get sexual release and as part of their sex life. But actually what porn is more about is hiding your woundedness. It, It watching porn, if you're a guy, it allows you to feel strong without having to be strong. Mm -hmm. and and what happens is a guy watches porn and he feels all kinds of dopamine reactions all kinds of chemical reactions from the masturbation and and sexual release but the stimulation from the porn like what he's actually watching also makes him feel powerful because often it's very violent and degrading towards someone else so then Mm -hmm. you're the one on top Mm-hmm. And when guys are feeling lonely, rejected, insignificant, insecure, they watch porn and then they feel really strong. And this just causes woundedness to grow and brokenness to grow. And her having sex can't fix that because it's not about sex. It's about him not wanting to be broken and him wanting to feel all of these things that he's not. And he's got to deal with those wounds that caused those things in the first place. And mm-hmm. he's got to deal with all kinds of other sinful issues. And she is not the problem. And yet, you know, a woman, a woman wrote into me on my blog last year, about how she was listening to focus on the family one day. And they said, you know, that maybe the reason men were turning to porn was because they, their needs for sex weren't getting met at home. And that's what we hear all the time is that, oh, he's watching porn because she's, because he's, he's not getting sex. But the majority of guys who watch porn, the porn habit began before the marriage, Mm -hmm. before he even knew this woman, it's not about her. And Porn causes you to lose libido for your spouse. It can cause erectile dysfunction. Sexual dysfunction is so much more common among porn yes, users. Yes, And so here's these women who really want intimate, passionate, pleasurable sex. And their husbands are the ones saying no, because they're turning to pornography. Mm, absolutely. I see this all the time in my sessions and I'm really saddened by it. And typically the men do know and say this, this did it. So if anyone's listening and doubting this, this is a grief issue for a lot of men who have just betrayed the borders of their marriage with porn. And now they're attracted in different ways and different experiences than are realistic. And as you said, so well, Sheila, that Now they're not addressing the core issues. So I love when people start doing their work and saying, you know what? I think I actually have some trauma to address or an addiction Mm -hmm. to address. 
Yeah. And let's not forget too, that, that some porn users can also be female. You know, we don't, yes, we hardly ever that. talk yep. about mm-hmm. that, but, yes. um, you know, increasingly there are more and more women. I think we only had about 13%. So it was lower than I thought it was going to be. That was actually surprising to me, mm-hmm. um, of women who had used porn, but it's, I think it it's is increasing. a growing problem yes, and we're going to see more and more of that, especially in women in their twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to happen. And, and when couples are walking through this pain, I do want them to know there's hope, but you do have to really bring it out and to say to your spouse, this isn't something I want to move forward with. If you guys are trying to use that to grow more intimate together. Yeah. And also remember that porn use has to be dealt with before the sex life is reestablished. Some of the really, the saddest books that I read were the books on how to handle porn that had sold so many copies. Like every man's battle was talking about how you quit lust And the way you do that is you take your sexual energy and you put it on your wife instead, right? And so instead of going to her for five bowls of sexual gratification a week, you go to her for 10 bowls of sexual gratification, which is really dehumanizing. And um, every, every heart restored said, um, which is a book in the every man's battle series specifically for wives of porn addicts. And it said, you know, on the road to recovery, he's going to have to rebuild trust and you're going to have to trust him again. And it doesn't really matter which one comes first. So wrong. I mean, I can't think of anything more wrong. You can't just decide to trust him before he's rebuilt trust, but they're saying Mm -hmm. you need to jump into this sexual relationship again and trust him before he's done the work. Mm. And that just contributes to betrayal trauma. Absolutely. And I think that goes for all addictions that when you're struggling with one, if your spouse says, I need you to go get medical attention for this, or I need you to go get psychiatric or whatever format that you guys decide together is the way you're going to go. I think that needs to start first to be the first step in building the trust versus just, Oh, took care of that. Not going to do that anymore because and, and truly this is not just for your spouse, but for you too, it's just going to resurface if you don't address it. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so I, I'm just hoping that now that we see what the numbers say, <laughs> you know, 20,000 women, that's the largest survey that's yes. ever been done. And, oh, and we were just hoping if we do it big enough and well enough, then some of these publishers and some of these organizations and some of these authors will start to listen. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see that what we've been saying is really hurtful and we need to do a better job of this. Oh, I am so like, yeah, I was grieved and now I'm just passionate with you and excited about, like, it almost brings tears to my eyes to think about how this could be a real revolution because we just haven't been doing a great job and it's been subpar and putting women in this very difficult spot. And, and Jesus never did that, frankly, from that devotional this morning to the rest of the red letters, he was always one to say, no, women are just as important as Mm co-heirs and co-stewards of the world. And I noticed that it was all men condemning that woman who was in the circle with the adultery issue. And Jesus said, do you all condemn her? I don't condemn her. So I'm really pleased, Sheila, that you're doing this. And not only that, but you're bringing beautiful ideas to couples to, to come back and to facilitate. So there's a bit of a sex manual feel to this book in a good way, not just research, not just let's, you know, hang men or hang all Christian authors. It's no, there's a lot of merit. We're saying, even you said earlier, there's some grace to be given, but we also, we can't keep books on the shelves that are 
not helpful that are destructive. So you're replacing it with this great research, but also these tools. So do you think you could share a couple tools with us? Yeah. Well, what, what we did at the end of each chapter. So, so each chapter is kind of focused on a different element where we've gone a little bit off base and then we show how we can rescue and reframe things. And then we give couples exercises to do to really help understand that area. So, um, let me just give an example of rescuing and reframing. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying all men struggle with lust, it's every man's battle, you can say many people struggle with lust and often men more than women, but it isn't a struggle that you can't overcome. And through the Holy Spirit, you can overcome it. And the way that you overcome it is by learning to see people as whole people made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, let's just get back to the root or... um instead of telling girls, teenage girls, boys will push your sexual boundaries. So you need to be the gatekeeper. You tell both boys and girls, you need to have sexual boundaries, but you also need to respect other people's sexual boundaries. Mm -hmm. If you're ever in a relationship and someone isn't respecting your boundaries, that's a red flag that the relationship is dangerous. It's normal to have sexual feelings. It's normal to want to have sex, but don't ever violate someone else's boundaries. You know, like mm. it's not that hard to say this stuff in a healthy way. <laughs> right, but we just didn't have the language. We just didn't know this. Know. And especially teens don't know this. And I love how you said, yeah. you know, oftentimes that was my husband's story. It was many teen girls pursuing him. And it wasn't always that it was the male pursuing. So I like that you're breaking down stereotypes with yeah, just so much there. You just said a yeah. lot right there. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then we have these exercises too, this, these explore together exercises. So we have some fun mm-hmm. ones on like how to spice things up, um, how to discover what each other likes in bed. I mean, personally, I love the optometrist game. I think it's a really like, you know, when you're getting your glasses checked, yes, um, I love that one. They do, they do, which is better one or two. And they put two <laughs> different lenses in front of your eyes. Well, you, we can do the same thing with sex when you're trying to figure out what turns each other on, right? Like, do you like being touched like this or like this? Do you like being touched here or here? Like is pressure better or is movement better? You know, just try different things and just have fun with it. Um, Mm. or we've got lots of, we've got some great exercises on learning how to respect your spouse's no, because that's very important is learning how to honor consent in marriage. Um, uh, so yeah, just a lot of different things, you know, make oh, sex feel yeah. great, reawaken orgasm, reawaken the sexual progression cycle, which a lot of us missed. <laughs> um, yeah. All kinds of fun things. Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about the sexual progression cycle? Okay. So here's what happens with a gatekeeper message. Like this boys will push your sexual boundaries. So okay. we talked to so many women in our focus groups that this had a devastating effect on their ability to get aroused once they were married. And this was the one thing we weren't planning on writing about. Like we had the book kind of sketched out before we did our survey. Cause we knew what we were going to find, but this one was a chapter we only put in after talking to everyone in our focus groups. And we realized how important it was, but you know, what, what's happening in so many makeout situations is that the guy is just enjoying himself mm-hmm. while the girl is thinking in her head, is he breathing too hard? Is he getting out of control? Do I need to stop it now? Do I need to stop it now? Do I need to stop it now? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and she's not relaxing and she's never experiencing anything. Now I'm not arguing that we should all make out and have these heavy <laughs> heading sessions. I'm just saying that this is the reality on the ground right now. Mm -hmm. So then these women get married and they've spent 
their whole sexual life feeling like they're outside of their bodies, watching what's happening, guarding what's happening to be sure it doesn't go too far, um, judging what's going on. One woman called it like spectatoring where I'm, I'm watching and I'm seeing what's happening, but she's never just present in her body. Mm. And then you get married and, you know, there's certain things that lead to arousal. Like in normally what happens is you have light kissing, which leads to deeper kissing. And then once you start deeper kissing, parts of your body wants to be touched. So you start touching those parts of the body and then you arouse each other. Like there's a progression that goes all the way to orgasm and intercourse. But when we marry as virgins, often we feel like, okay, now we're supposed to have sex and we skip all that progression. And then women never understand the arousal piece especially if they've also had that gatekeeper message where I'm outside of my body looking in. <laughs> and what the way that our books have dealt with it is they give all these step-by-step instructions on how to make her feel good. So, you know, sheet music has major instructions on what to do when an active marriage, you know, you touch here 237 times and you rub here for eight minutes, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very paint by number, right? Right. And the paint by number doesn't work Mm -hmm. because the problem is not technique as much as it is that she has never learned to listen to her body. And so until you get that piece back, like if you're touching her clitoris when she's not at all aroused, it will just feel like a pap smear. Yes. Mm -hmm. It will feel really invasive (laughs) and gross. Yes. It has to be done with love. And if she wants it and if she's ready for that, it's it, you can't touch it 200 times and get a different answer if it's not working the first time. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that is so helpful for us to hear. I can't believe it how I know they meant well. I keep saying that because I'm just hoping they did (laughs) (laughs) because I read about, yeah, some of the stuff said in sheet music too. And I even shared a lot of this with Wes, who is a very traditional type one male. And he was like, I'm so thankful for her book. Like he is Mm -hmm. with us. Like this is a message that has to be shared And from the honeymoon things you share about people not sometimes not being ready for this amazing sex on honeymoon night to healing from adultery to pornography, like this is a book that everybody needs to have if they want to have a good intimate life. I mean it. Oh, thank you so much. That's really what we wanted for it. So I'm really glad too. And I, I, so many women have told us that they've been reading it with their husbands and because we have little check-ins throughout as well so that people can... Um, yeah, just check in with each other. How, how is this sitting with you? Did you experience this? Um, you know, did you, were you taught the obligation sex message? When did you even realize that women had a clitoris, like all the, you know, all of of check-ins and, and a lot of women are telling us, yeah, we're reading it. I'm reading it with my husband and I can't believe the breakthroughs we're having. It's like, this is a giant therapy session, but it's so great. I find like, we're finally getting there. It is. I mean, I actually already shared your book once and I've already had testimonies coming in from not only my clients, but even people on my social media saying this book changed my life. I'm like, already, I haven't even done the episode yet. (laughs) So they're finding you and I'm just so grateful. And I think it's really going to bless our Enneagram nines out there because what nines love is options. So the this or that game, and also nines tend to check out of their bodies sometimes. So I think all of us have our nine mode sometimes, but especially nines who really are going to be super blessed, which is just extra because Rebecca, you said is a nine, right? 
Yes, she is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what a gift from a nine to nines and from an eight who can empower people to be strong and vibrant and yet loving, because as we close, I really want to help our listeners to understand that Sheila's coming from a place of love. She is for marriage and she is for true passionate intimacy. So I'm just so grateful, Sheila. Well, thank you. And it, it, it's been a really difficult um, mm. project because we feel so deeply that we want women and men to find freedom. Like guys have been really hurt by a lot of these messages too. It honestly is not just women. And I just think our lust and porn chapters can be so freeing to so many men as well, because they've been given so many bad messages about this stuff. So, <sighs> you know, we just, we just feel so badly for couples, but at the same time, it's been really difficult reading how badly our books have treated this stuff and, mm. and just getting some of the pushback from people behind the scenes and, and, you know, people who really support the books that we've been critiquing. Um, and I just hope that, that, that we're able to usher in a new age where we can change the evangelical conversation about sex, mm. where we can change the conversation about marriage and sex, and we can point to what is healthy instead of just trying to defend those who have been on the top for so long, oh um, gosh, and yes. really get back to what Jesus wants. Oh my goodness. That analogy goes far with this topic too. (laughs) (laughs) But I really love that because we want to be side by side. We want to be loving each other. We don't want somebody on top in marriage. We want you guys to really feel like best friends and partners and lovers. And, and that is a mutual bond that is Oh, wow. I love how you use that biblical analogy of just the knowing again. I mean, so thank you because you're right. As you do this work, it's not going to be without its scars. There's going to be a lot of backlash and people who aren't there yet with you, but there's, I think an overwhelmingly majority of people who are desperate for this. So thank you for pioneering it. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on your podcast too. Yes. I want everyone to know where they can find you because I'm having conversations about Enneagram and marriage and courses for that. And I want them to be able to go to you and your page for this. I'll spend a good week on it, but where can we find you and how can they get a hold of this book? So we are over at to love, honor, and vacuum.com is the blog. And my podcast is bare marriage. So if you just look for the bare marriage podcast and everything is linked there all the time. And then the book is just the great sex rescue. If you go to, to love, honor, and vacuum.com, you'll find our podcasts, our orgasm course, our boost your libido course. And of course, all of the books, including the great sex rescue are all there. Um, so, and, and yeah, we're just excited to be part of, of this new conversation because I think the evangelical world's ready for it. I think we just want health and intimacy and I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. If you ever want to come back and do a lesson with us on one of the particulars down the road, we are game here. Cause this is one of the biggest areas in marriage as you know. Mm-hmm. So we really try to revisit it a lot. And as you know, we had Dr. Camden Morganti on as well, who referred me to you. So make sure you all check out Dr. Camden too. She's just wonderful as well. Yes, she is. She's wonderful pushing back against the purity culture. And yeah, I would love to come on again and we could look at even just one of the teachings and see how to deconstruct it and look back to, to what Jesus wants for real intimacy. Mm, okay, perfect. Okay. Well, thank you again. And you have an amazing day. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Me too. <laughs> bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.
So I really hope that you ended up getting just what you came for today, that you got to really hear about hope for your marriage, for your relationship, for your future marriage, and just a lot of healthy information for you and your partner to discuss. And what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to take this to them and just blab it all at dinner when they're not ready. I want you to tell them I have something really special to talk to you about and maybe listen to if they're just better at podcast listening or let's read something together. But I want you to be thoughtful. Be thoughtful, take a pause, and get your spouse ready with you to make some healthy changes in your relationship. And as I always say, and so many people I've learned this from have blessed me to remember, we have to do our work as we look to our spouse to do theirs. But in the case of our sex lives, if our spouse is not doing their work and they're being toxic toward us, we have to set boundaries. So start with setting some healthy sexual boundaries and boundaries just in your marriage in general. And we'll just have to keep bringing Sheila back on to give us even more great tools and tips. In the meantime, don't forget if you're a marriage helper to check out the Enneagram and Marriage course for certification so that you can bring these tools to others with that sense of community. I'm thankful for just the fact that my staff is joining me and I welcome you if you want to join me as well. Make sure to use the code helper. It will be a summer of learning together and a lot of fun too. Visit me on Enneagram and Marriage for that. Okay, have a great week you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.